Hey girl, welcome to the Empower Her podcast, where we are all about taking purpose-driven action toward building lives we really freaking love. My name's Keisha, and I'm a saucy 29-year-old who left the corporate world to go on to build a seven-figure online business. But most days, I still feel like I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm obsessed with the process of us getting to figure it out together. We've got epic guests, incredible stories, tips, and tricks to help us get out of our own way and unapologetically make some moves. So girlfriend, let's do the damn thing. Girl, I am so excited that you're here today because on the show, we have Kathy Heller and she's actual fire. Like I cannot even wait to hear what you think of this ridiculously inspiring interview. I think it's going to hit home in such an impactful way. So if you don't know Kathy, she is a mom of three. She's a wife. She's a musician. She's a podcaster and a soon to be published author of a book that's releasing on November 12th called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And Honestly, like homegirl knows what she is doing. She's been featured in major media outlets like Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post, New York Times, Inc. Magazine, and her podcast, which is also titled Don't Keep Your Day Job, has over 9 million downloads. So it's safe to say that she's making massive change in the world, helping thousands of people show up and show them, honestly, you can chase your idea. It's not stupid. You can build a business out of a passion and you will just feel her genuine approach in this conversation. She's just so freaking passionate. And I will also add, what's cool about her story is there are so many twists and turns to kind of how she built this empire that she has now. I mean, she's written and licensed her own music hundreds of times to film and TV and ads. And it's just cool to hear her perspective. We dive into like what it feels like if you're stuck or you know that you need to make a career transition or if you just want more and you want to monetize a passion. So it's really juicy. I can't wait to hear what you think. And without further ado, let's just dive right in, girl. Kathy, I am so excited that you're here. Thank you so much. And welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You have such enthusiasm. It's fun to be around you. Oh, I'm so excited because I feel like your message and the content that you put out through your podcast and your soon to be released book, which I'm so excited to dive into, is really (laughs) going to hit home with this particular audience, the demographic that listens to this podcast. So before we dive into some of the questions that I wanted to ask you, can you give us a little background? Because you have a career path now that a lot of people would love to have, I think, and also seems totally random how you got here. So, so, <laughs> True, so. it always is. It? It yeah, is. so take us back. Yeah, um, I came out to LA 16 years ago. I just turned 40 this summer and I came out when I was 24. Um, I always wanted to be a musician and I thought the only way to make a living was to be a rock star. Yeah. And and some of the things that I talk to people about is really helping them figure out what their signature passion project is. A lot of times we have things that we love, but we've never had so many different possibilities modeled for us. And yeah. so it feels like it's either Beyonce or bust. It feels like it's all or nothing. Um, and so we don't always understand how to even pursue something. And so we wind up just going to get some job that someone tells us we should get because we're really just not clear about what the possibilities are. And so the only possibility that I thought was, I guess I could become Cheryl Crow. <laughs> And then maybe I could have a career doing something great. And so I came out here and I, 
I did that for a long time. I actually, after a bunch of stuff, you know, I did get a record deal. I was signed to Interscope and then um, I was actually sitting during Lady Gaga's recording session of Paparazzi. I had just gotten signed and they were like, what coffee do you want? We're doing a coffee run. And I was like the new star of the label. That's amazing. And then I wound up like a few months later, I was driving in my car, which is where you are most of the time in LA. (laughs) And uh, I got a call from Ron Fair, who is my producer. And he's like, can you pull over? You sound like you're driving. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you know, Jimmy Iovine doesn't want to release the record. It has to be like, for sure, for sure, for sure. We're going to sell millions of copies. We're just not really sure, but you're really talented. I'm sure something will happen for you. And I was like, oh my God, like, what the heck am I going to do with my life? You know, not only because it's so like sad when you think this is the only way for you to be a person, but I had no other identity. I I also had tasted this thing, which was like, oh, I'm somebody special. I do something significant. Now I'm going to go sit at a desk. Like I felt really depressed. And, um, I got a bunch of desk jobs because I thought like, okay, now I have to do the thing that everyone told me I would have to do. Grow up, be practical, get a responsible job. And I worked um, in a bunch of different capacities. I worked for a doctor as an assistant. I worked in casting. A friend of mine was like, oh, you're creative. Do something else creative that has nothing to do with what you do in alignment with yourself. I got a casting job. I worked on the Ghost Whisperer pilot with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Did that for two seasons. And then I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I, I just got this job. It's not the job I want to do. And then a friend was like, if you're not going to do the thing you love, you should make a lot of money because at least you won't be doing what you love, but you'll be making yeah. money. So I'm like, that's an interesting point. So then, um, you know, the universe is always sending you whatever is what you're seeking. I met a guy who worked in Brentwood at this like big commercial real estate firm. And I was like, oh, I'll work for you. And so I worked for this guy. <clears throat> And I was making like maybe 150 grand and I was 26, yeah. 27. It seemed like a lot of money. And it was at that age. I was eating spicy tuna rolls whenever <laughs> I wanted. And I had really cool You're jeans. You're speaking to my heart. <laughs> oh God, the sushi just does. I just could eat it every day. So, and then I was driving again and I remember pulling over and I was like, this is not my life. I feel so depressed. And, you know, one of the things I realized going through my own journey is that when you have success without fulfillment, that's almost like the ultimate feeling of failing because now you have all these boxes checked and you're not happy. So what the heck? Yeah. So you feel like kind of crazy or something. Yeah. And so (laughs) I wound up feeling like, you know what, I have to do something. And I wound up saying like, there's got to be a way to do music. If I'm not, it's got to be something other than all or nothing. And I wound up figuring out a way to license my songs to TV shows and ads. And my songs started to be in shows like One Tree Hill. And at the time it was like Switch to Birth and promos for ABC. And and then I wound up writing music for Walmart and Target and stuff like that. And I wound up making a few hundred grand a year. And that was fun until I needed a new challenge. And then I wound up helping other artists to figure out a way how to monetize their own music. And I wound up teaching this like, whole group of artists. And that wound up becoming like a seven-figure enterprise. And then I wound up opening an agency to help other songwriters. And then I was like, wait, I didn't get into songwriting so I could help songwriters. Like, again, I felt misaligned. And then I just kept following the yes. And then somebody said, why don't you start a podcast? Because you're so good at helping creatives to like think out of the box and 
find yeah. a way to do the thing they love. And I was like, okay. And that was two and a half years ago. And we just aired our 200th episode and my book's coming out and we're at almost 9 million downloads. And I feel like I've really finally now like found what I think is my work. And I say what I think because I think that if you have a five-year plan, you're probably limiting yourself. I think that we have to like stay in the flow and then the the universe sort of like guides us to what really is the biggest wow beyond what we could have thought ahead of. So, but I do feel like what I'm doing now is really supercharged. And so yeah, now I've been interviewing creatives on my show, like everyone from Bobby Brown, the makeup artist, to Jenna Fisher, the actor, to Howard Schultz, who started Starbucks, to Tamara Mellon, who started Jimmy Choo. And I've interviewed really successful humans and asked them, how did you figure out how to become successful? What are the mindsets? What are the habits? What do you do to actually make a business grow? How do businesses grow? And I've been able to help hundreds of thousands of humans around the world and started coaching programs. And like now I'm speaking and teaching people how to do their work in this world. And that feels really different than like wanting to be a songwriter or helping musicians. And it feels much more like what I'm really meant to do. And that's it. And definitely not Beyonce or Bust. Because look at what you've done. You've lived like 10 lives. Like every, all these career paths. And like, True. it's amazing to see what you've done. And it's really inspiring because I think there's a couple different, you know, stages of life that people are in that are listening to this podcast. One that I want to kind of p- pick your brain a little bit about is the woman who knows that she doesn't want to do what she's doing right now and she feels stuck. So some of these times that you were talking about of like when you're pulling over to the side of the road and you're like, I'm not living what I want to be living. How did you kind of get yourself to take action to actually make a change in your life? And kind of, can you explain to us a little bit about like what it felt like when you're parked in your car on the side of the road to the woman that can connect with that stage of your life? I want to talk to her first. Yeah, no, and I totally get that. And that's like where everyone needs to be met. And that really is the crux of it because essentially 90% of everything is psychology. And we so want to believe that that's not true. And yet it's so good that that's true because that's the thing that we have so much more control over. Like for instance, just to give it a for instance, the thing that lights up the strongest in the brain is enthusiasm. And I said that to you right when we came out, I was like, you're so enthusiastic and that's why you're successful. People want to be around people who have enthusiasm, right? So like that is powerful to understand that the person who walks in the room, it's not about who's most talented. It's not about your IQ. It's not about where you come from. It's not about your bank account. How enthusiastic are you? That's just one piece of data that suggests that psychology is really the thing at play. So that's interesting. So what does it mean to be successful? And what does it mean to be starting from a place of like you're pulled over on the side of the road? Bottom line is that most of us are constantly telling ourselves like, I'm fine, it's fine, but we're not fine. And the reason we do that is because when we were like six or nine or 12, there was definitely a moment and then there was another moment and then there was another moment where as kids in our most like formative time, we got our hearts broken and there was pain. Either somebody walked out, somebody didn't love us back, somebody passed away, somebody didn't like our work. And we said to ourselves, you know what? This is the most painful moment for me. And I know what I'm going to do. 
I won't want it anymore. And if I don't want it, maybe I won't get hurt. And so we tell ourselves, I'm fine. I don't want anything. It's okay. I don't really need to, you know, have this incredible career. I don't need passion. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're like talking to ourselves. And then one day you are in the car and you pull over and you go, it's not fine. And there's a part of you that really deeply wants to be seen. And I think that is the greatest human desire is like you want to feel seen. And I think that's because we as humans, we are greatest happiness. Happiness is actually not the word that we are all striving for. That's what people try to sell you. Like buy this car, you'll be happy. Take this vacation, you'll be happy. But what makes people happy is actually purpose. The opposite of depression isn't happiness. It's purpose, it's meaning, it's contributing. And so that is reflective of like, we want to know that something we're doing has meaning for someone else, makes the world more whole. It translates, it connects, it's seen, it's received. That's what we want. So when we are not seeing ourselves, when we are pushing things down, when we're not doing work where we are serving and we are feeling like what we have to express is being expressed, we do get sad. And we don't really want to build someone else's dream. But what happens is we live the lives based on what we believe is true. So everything comes down to momentum. And the reason we don't have momentum, the thing that's in control of all of it is your beliefs. So if you believe that you don't deserve it, if you believe you're not enough, if you believe it's not possible, for instance, how many people listening... You can just obviously, you know, it's rhetorical. You can ask yourself, you can't tell me, but think to yourself. Yeah, nod while you're driving. Nod while you're driving. Like, <laughs> how many people listening have ever bought a lottery ticket? Probably some of you are saying, like, yep, I've done that once, twice, whatever. How many of you do that every single week? Probably much less. Probably, many, probably fewer of you are saying, yeah, I do that every single week. Why? Because you don't believe in it so strongly. Like you don't believe that you're going to win the Powerball, so you don't do it. Because what does it cost? An extra five, six bucks a week? Of course you could spend that. You spend that on Starbucks every day. Why do you spend on Starbucks every day? Because you want a cup of coffee. You believe they're going to give it to you. That's fine. It makes sense. You don't believe that, so you don't do it. The same thing with like how many of you have like taken an airplane? Everybody, right? I mean, most human beings. How many of you have done that like hundreds of times? Why? Because you don't believe you're going to die. So you will get on the plane, right? Like you're going to go, you're going to land, you're going to go to Boston, you're going to go to London, you're going to have a great time and come home with some memories. And that's the way we live. If you don't believe that something is possible, if you don't believe you deserve it, if you don't believe you're enough, you're not an idiot. You're not going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Because the number one thing, this thing on top of our heads, this brain, All that it's here to do is to protect us. That's what it is, right? There used to be a time where human beings are trying to run from saber-toothed tigers and bears, Mm -hmm. and we are not physically as strong as a bear. So your brain is bigger (laughs) because it's constantly looking to assess danger, look for bear tracks, look, right? So you're, you're not unusual. If you are worrying, if you are sad, Step back and realize that your brain is a computer that is the most brilliant processor that was ever put in this world. And all it's designed to do is seek for problems. Mm -hmm. So all it's going to do is give you beliefs that show you where there could be danger. 
And so it's our job to know that, get ahead of that and be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to proactively insert and feed my mind with the things that I know I actually need to believe because my mind does not go there. My mind is like Velcro for negativity. It is Teflon for the positive things. And that's because it's working well. In fact, if you're here, it's because your grandparents were the ones who did escape the danger better. So they're better problem solvers. And the smarter you are, and the longer we're on this planet, the people who are here surviving, you're survivors. You solve problems, you worry. That's what brains do. So what we have to do is start with belief. And for me, it's either the light switches on or it's off. And we've all had moments of like total boldness. So you just want to live there every day. You don't want to live there once in a while. Sometimes you get some complete clarity. You go to a funeral, you come back, you are clear. Sometimes you get amazing news. Somebody you love just had a baby and you go and you witness that and you get clarity and that's amazing. Sometimes you're, you just finished listening to the, the Empower Her podcast or you read a book and you're so lit up and you feel bold for 14 hours, but you want to be there every day. So you need to, the first thing is like decide, okay, what am I going to do every day to feed that to myself? And I think for me, it's either I'm doing that, which I think is most of what I do now in my life, or sometimes the thing that causes you to take that action is that the pain gets so bad that the pain of staying where you are and staying stuck is greater than the pain of possibly being rejected and possibly figuring out that you're not enough if you go ahead and try. And so for me, I've either acted from a place of feeding myself beliefs that are really positive or the pain gets so bad that you just have to make a decision and you have to act. Yeah. So would so step one of that would be essentially just being aware because if you're not aware, then you can't do anything about it. And then step two would be like, is there a question there that someone could ask, ask themselves? Like, how does a person who's behaving the way that I want to behave or who's acting in the way that I want to be acting think? Or what's a good question that someone could ask themselves if they're trying to get into a stronger belief like at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is you have to bring the darkness into the light. You know, it's like Marie Kondo. She doesn't just clean up. She brings everything out of the closet and puts it all on the bed. And then you're like, Marie, my house just got messier since you walked in. <laughs> but we have to actually take it out. Yeah. Deal with it. Look at it. Stop telling yourself you're fine. Write it down. Cry it out. Look at it. It's there to tell you something. Everything is there to reveal something so important to you. So first of all, you know, feelings are like visitors. They knock, 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 knock. They just keep knocking louder until you just open the door and let them in. But they're visitors. They're going to come in. Some will stay for three hours. Some will stay for three weeks. It doesn't matter. At some point, they leave. So make space for that. You can do hard things. You've done harder things than this. You've survived so much. If you're listening, I don't need to know you personally. No, you've survived so many dark nights and you're here. Give yourself credit for that. The 11-year-old version of you is probably looking at you like, damn. That's amazing. You didn't know what was ahead and look at you now. So that's amazing. Oh, I love that. And then it's like, let go of the shame. You know, like we all have so many broken parts. And this thing of imposter syndrome is this feeling of like everyone else has it together and I don't. And that's just called pluralistic ignorance. It's like everyone else is also broken. Beyonce is also struggling with a husband who cheated on her. Yeah. Think she's not having a dark night? Yeah. What are you talking about? Like successful people are the people who are like, I feel like I'm going to throw up and I'm going to do it anyway. 
Yeah. So it's not about not being broken. So look at the darkness, bring it into the light. And then I would ask yourself, like, how do you really want to feel? And if life is like a blank canvas and you can throw any paint color on it, it's like, what are the actual possibilities? If really, what, what is your ceiling became your floor? Like, what would you desire to create? And then you start to say to yourself, okay, I now know I'm not going to get there on my own. What am I going to be able to feed myself every single day and set a habit? Set a habit every day to listen to this show, listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, whatever works for you. Take a run every day, meditate, whatever you have to do. Do that every single day. Understand that like, if you bought an iPhone, you, bu- you go buy this thing. I don't know what it is now, like $1,000, maybe it's more. You buy an iPhone, you leave the store. Can you imagine coming back three days later and saying to the woman, you sold me junk, like the phone doesn't work. And she's like, okay, I'm so sorry. Let me look at it. She's like, the phone, the phone is fine. And you're like, no, it's not fine. I took it out of the store. And for the last two and a half days, it doesn't turn on. And she would be like, you remember it comes with this thing called a charger? Like it has to be charged. And you're looking at her like, I spent a thousand dollars on it. It's like, yeah, you can spend a hundred thousand on a Tesla. You still have to charge it. What, what is it that, about us that thinks you want to heat something in the oven? Great. Preheat it. Like yeah. then put it in the oven. Like we expect that of everything except for ourselves. We then get down on ourselves. Like what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? It's like nothing is wrong with you. You're totally acting appropriately. You just need to get habits that are going to charge yourself. That is what every single person who's been on my podcast, at some point, they start to find a rhythm of things that start to light them up. You find people to be around that give you energy, things to do that give you energy. And then what's also beautiful is you start taking action and the action actually gives you confidence. And then you take more action and you get into momentum and that creates more beliefs and it just keeps going and it kind of feeds on itself. But those are the steps. I love it because it's so tangible. Someone just like pulled over. They're like in Trader Joe's and they whip out their notepad. (laughs) I love that. And I so believe in that too, in terms of putting that constant confidence, just a tiny little deposit in your bucket over time, it fills. And all of a sudden you're chasing more dreams because you feel more alive. Totally. So, okay. I want to talk about one topic that I think is really cool that you do on your podcast. And in particular, you talked about a friend of yours and she was on your show, Emily, and kind of her backstory of like her career and how she ended up starting this card company. And I think there's a lot of women and you can use Emily's example or any example you want to. A lot of women that might actually have an idea. So there's the one who feels stuck and doesn't know what she wants to do, which we just gave her a ton of tangible information. But then the woman who actually does have a gut feeling of an idea that she has, or maybe a change that she wants to make, maybe other people don't understand it, but it's kind of in her heart that she wants to do something. Can you give her some advice and also maybe just some like tangible stories that she can kind of remember when she's trying to take action, doesn't know what the next thing is going to look like. Yeah, sure. I mean, what's really cool is that there are some people that are now in this place, like you're suggesting where they, they've done a little bit of the self introspective work and they know they want more, but now they're like, not exactly sure what to do with that desire. Yep. Right? I know I want more. I'm clear. I'm admitting it to myself. I'm not okay sitting at this day job. I really want to do something else, but what do I want to do? Sometimes people have like three things they love. I love hand lettering. I love travel writing and I'm also great at baking and I don't know which one to do. Yeah. So I don't know is actually a limiting belief. 
when you say, I don't know, it's an excuse. And it's really hard to, to, to own that, but it's true. Um, what has to happen is we, we have to understand that there, there is no person who ever had a crystal ball. Like it is so easy to look at Steve Jobs and be like, he knew what he wanted. He hit the target. No. What you would do is you'd go behind the scenes and look and see all of the things, all the darts he threw. Yeah. And then you'd circle the target around one of them to make it look like it was like a heroic story. But really yeah. it was a messy story of like trying different things that didn't work until something does. That's it, guys. Like that's what has to happen. So successful people, they start and 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 they do it and they do it and they do it. And they don't look at, they don't measure their success at like, did this thing, you know, go the distance? It's like, did I just do it? And what did I learn from it? The rejection, as my friend Amber Ray says, is just redirection. Right? Like as you get rejected, these are just answer keys. You are playing that game of hot and cold like you played as a kid. It's like warmer, warmer, colder. There you are, you're hot. That's the that's the way it works. It's like a scavenger hunt. You try something, you get led, you get a little clue. You're like, oh, I'm gonna now go on this trip to Peru. You go to Peru, you meet this woman at a yoga retreat, and she designs pillows, and then you go to her shop and you realize you never even thought about designing pillows, but now that you're there and you actually let yourself try it, that's the thing you love. But how did you get there? Because you're smart. You followed your intuition to that retreat. Like we actually know when people say like be in the flow, there is a flow. It's magical though. When we step into the flow, it's just a whisper of like, I don't know why, but I have this quote unquote crazy little idea that I want to take this calligraphy class. I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't care. It's a desire. It's not about being productive every second. It's about following the whisper and being in alignment. Alignment is really the hustle. It's not about just just cranking out work. It's like, are you aligned, right? And then as you step into that space, that magical space where you're listening to this desire, there's a synchronicity. There's a magic that happens. And you start being led as you start letting yourself be open to really what's in there that has to be made. Every one of us has something we just have to make. Yeah. And what, what, what we usually do is we think about like what, like we think about things backwards. It's sort of like, what's practical? What will sell, right? Yeah. And then we'll like, we'll go do that. We'll go work for our uncle. We'll go make a t-shirt. We'll go make that app. Do you really want to do that? No, 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 but I'll do this now. Why? Make the thing you have to make, number one. But number two is an important piece as well. Once you know the thing you have to do is write a song or make candles or bake cake pops or teach this yoga retreat, like that's the thing. There's a second piece in here. You're not, you're not silly for thinking about other human beings. People are like, don't think about what other people think. Of course you think about what other people think yep. because we're designed to be connected creatures. So what we have to do is once we have a sense, right? You follow the magic. You really get clear. I know that the thing I have to do is I have to dance. I have to sing acapella music. I have to write a screenplay. I have to bake something. Okay, great. But now understand that there's a difference between a hobby and a business. Maybe you're just going to do that thing and it's going to be your hobby and you're going to be lit up and that's great. But my contention is that there's no reason why it can't be the thing you do all the time. And wouldn't that be better? Because then you can actually just serve the world more. Because instead of just 
waiting till the weekend to like keep iterating on this thing. You have all day then to keep working through it and making it more and more, more come to life. So I would love to see people make a living at it, but how do you do that? Business, business is a relationship and business means you're making money and business means that you figured out how to give someone else what they want or need and they paid you for it. So once we have an idea of what we love, we have to think about who we're serving with this. Who is this for? Who is this coffee shop for? Who are these yoga pants we're making for? Who are these candles for? Who are, who's going to be in this women's networking thing we're starting? And then we have to make the thing in tandem with the person, building the engine while flying the plane and testing and testing and testing as opposed to, great, I have the idea. Now I'm going to go off in my little laboratory, build something, put it out in the world, and then wonder why no one bought it because no businesses run that way. When Skippy Peanut Butter is going to go make a peanut butter, they're going to gather moms together. They're going to gather working CEOs together to figure out which one needs which thing and which container, which flavor. They're not just going to put it in the world. The reason people feel icky when they think about sales is because they think that sales is making something and convincing someone that they need it, but that doesn't work. Sales is coming up with an idea giving it to somebody who it's for, knowing then who it's for, asking them more questions, gathering data on what they need and continuing to iterate and make them more of what they need. And then when it comes out, they're happy to give you the money for it because you filled a need. You made them the thing they wanted. Women have no problem walking into Bloomingdale's or Anthropology and spending money because all of those brands, all of those places have thought about what it, what it should smell like, what the music should be, what tops they should sell, what price point, what thread. You're you're not going to sell woolen dresses in the Bahamas. It's not going to work, right? You need to sell like sarongs and bathing suits and like, you know, throwovers. Like you're not going to sell that in Minnesota. So we need to understand who it's for and make things in tandem. And that's where people actually get really lost. And so what they do is if they finally, finally, finally have enough belief, they say, Kathy, I heard what you said. I got all pumped up. I figured out what I wanted to do, but then guess what? It didn't work. Right, because this has to be a process where you are working with the person you're making this for. So it really begins with, what do you love? And then who is it for? Yes. What do you do and who do you serve? And then how do you really start to work with that in order to understand exactly then how to give them what they want? And then that's not hard. And then that thing becomes the investor for all the other fun things you get to do. And then you don't have to always do things that serve other people because the money you make from what you do well to serve allows you to do other things as well. And your life becomes a little bit of a balance, but it does feel good to make a living serving someone else. And that, by the way, is the only way a business is a business is because there's radical, radical empathy at the heart of it. And people are serving somebody. And so someone's willing to give you money for you doing them a service or making them a thing that they needed or wanted. Yes. And what's so cool is because I know that there's someone listening to this who struggles with taking money for a service that they're providing. But like you just so eloquently laid that out of like, you're adding value. You need to be compensated so that you can then give even more value because 100%. you're not having to work this job that like sucks your soul. So, yeah. okay. I want to, I would definitely want to talk about the book and kind of how you even came up with the podcast um, content and just the name of it as a whole. But one quick question I wanted to ask is, do you have any tips for someone who struggles with perfectionism of just like, so maybe they are like, okay, Kathy, I hear you. I'm ready to rock. But they are like, but it has to be perfect. And they're just like obsessed with making it perfect before they can put it out there. Yeah. I mean, we hinted at it before, yeah. but perfectionism is also just a limiting belief. Right. 
And it's really just a way to try to protect yourself from pain. And you really just don't want to get hurt. A really a great analogy for this one I'll pull back was from my songwriting days because Ed Sheeran, who's such a great songwriter, I heard him say, and I thought this was such a good analogy. He's like, you know, imagine you go to some cabin in Vermont and you're going to be there for a few days with your friends and no one's been there for six months. You walk in, you put your bags down and uh, you're going to like boil some water. So you like run the faucet and the faucet runs like brown sludgy water, you know, and one of your friends is like all grossed out and you're like, dude, no one's been here for six months. Like, it's fine. Like, it's just the pipes need to like, you know, kind of run the water to be fine in like 10 seconds. And of course, like 10, 12, 14 seconds later, the water's fine. You, you know, you boil the water and you make your pasta, whatever. And he said, that's called being a creative. That's called being a person. That's called being a visionary. Like you have to let the water run until it gets clearer and clearer. Andy Warhol, he used to burn his paintings. He used to set them on fire. And his assistant, there's a famous story where she was like taking them out of the dumpster and he was pleading with her, please don't do that. Please don't do that. In his mind, he was actually giving himself a gift. He wasn't creating something saying it has to be perfect. He was saying, I'm actually allowing myself to develop mastery over this. I don't need it to be perfect or I'm out. Because people, newsflash, you're not born Serena Williams. You're not born Mozart. You're not born, Serena Williams wasn't born Serena Williams. In fact, if you remember the story, her sister was like dominating. She's older, her sister. And here she comes, you know, up from the, you know, up from the back and she's like, you don't know, you don't got nothing on me, you know? And she worked on it. She worked on it. And Fred Astaire, I was with my kids last year. We were um, in the Hamptons for the holidays and my uncle put on a Fred Astaire movie and my kids had never seen it before. And I said, he's amazing, right? And my daughter's like, oh my God, like I can't believe he does this dance for 15 minutes. How many takes do you think they did? And I said, they didn't. They did one take. Like this is like a, a while before they had that kind of ability. And she's like, oh, he's just so amazing. And I said, this is what greatness looks like. He's great. He's great. And I said, but you should see his feet under those tap shoes. And you don't understand how many times he's like going over it and over and over. It. You don't see Michael Phelps before he goes on, you know, out for the Olympic race. Like you see him cross that, you know, finish line and, you know, he's the best swimmer in the world. You're not seeing him throw up blood, you know, 15 days in a row. So there is no such thing. And so when I see somebody who's amazing, let's say I go to the Hollywood Bowl and I'm seeing an incredible performer. We recently went with the kids and we saw Alan Menken and he, he just came on stage and like played, sat down on a piano, just him and a piano and played every single song from every Disney movie. And you're thinking to yourself, if you would have written one of those songs, you're a genius. But instead you wrote like 45 <laughs> of these songs. Like everybody knows the first time you heard A Whole New World or Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And you're like, this song, holy crap, this man is a genius. He's a genius, right? He's a genius. When I look at people who are that talented, the very first thing that I think, how courageous is this person? Yeah. Because I have no doubt that there was so much mediocrity that they allowed themselves to push through. And that's how you even get to be incredible. Ira Glass talks about how there's a gap, there's a gap between where you are and where you want to be. Like there's a time for every person 
where you can identify an incredible piece of art, but you can't quite make that piece of art yet. And you have to ride it out. And on the other side of the gap, that's where scarcity lies because most people gave up way too soon. And most people don't even start because they have this need to be perfect, which is really this little girl who's like, I don't want to get hurt. And so at the end of the day, no matter what your life looks like, you do get exactly what you want. And you're going to be like, that's not true. What you want right now, if you don't have what you think you want, is what you want is to not be in pain. And so whether what, it, what you really want is a relationship, what you really want is a better, better career, you're, you're wanting to not be in pain is overriding the wanting for those other things. And so you're being given what you want, which is to stay in a place that feels less scary. Oh, you're like a, just a treasure chest of like tangible tidbits and stories. Like I could listen to you talk literally all day long. So thank you so much. You just helped so many women with that. So thank you. Um, okay. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with, obviously your podcast is super successful for 9 million downloads. Like you're crushing it, interviewing all these amazing people. Your episodes that you bring have so much value to them. Tell us about the podcast, just kind of how you like started it and um, what the concept behind it is. And then tell us about like what to expect in the book when we all obviously just like sprint to go get it. Um, <laughs> and Thank also you. you're recording it on Audible right now, correct? Yeah, we're already done. It's already been already recorded. Done. Yeah, totally done. Okay, cool. All right. So yeah, yeah. G- give us the rundown. Started the podcast two and a half years ago, January of 2017. And I'm so glad I did. I was scared. I pressed publish. I remember those first few episodes, I would re-record them, re-record them. I hated the way I sounded. I couldn't believe you know, that I just wasn't saying it exactly right. And I just pushed through it. And I believe me, I thought about not, and I just did it anyway. Um, in any case, yeah, the podcast is very much reflected in the book. Um, but it's not a transcription of it. In fact, we had a few publishing deal offers for the book and a few of them were really simple. It was like, oh, we're just going to take all the podcasts and transcribe them and every chapter will be a different episode. And I was like, no, I have to write a book. Like I know that if I'm going to put something out there with my name on it, even though that would have been awesome because the transcripts and the, the show is great, the book is really something even more special because what the book is, it's me pulling out of the podcast what I think are the most important takeaways versus you listening through hours and hours, right? We've done 200 yeah. episodes, hours and hours of content. And then on your own, you're thinking like, God, that was a great story. God, this was a great <laughs> story. But like, what are the cliff notes, like what is the step-by-step process? And that's really what I, I decided to put together in the book. So I had a lot of, it was, it was challenging, but it was also fun to like get it out in the world and figure out what that really is. What are the most important tangible things? So that's what's in the book. And the podcast is essentially, what does it take to find more purpose? How do you find more meaning in your life? How do you really, really live a rich life? How do you really find a life that feels like it's on your terms. And so the book really goes into that. The podcast goes into that. What are the ways to really access what we're here to give? How do you actually put that in the world? And then the, the book goes into sort of nitty gritty details. Like w- once you get to the, the second half of the book, it's like, here's how you even write the email. Here's what you should say. Here's what you should think about in terms of some best practices to create content which for some people will be part of it. And then there's lots of other just great examples and stories of all different types and kinds and shapes and sizes so that people can start to understand what is this thing that is actually truly available to me. And one of the things that I talk about on the podcast that's really reflected in the book is that there are four different prototypes for how to make a living. 
And I think that not everybody really knows this. Just like there's five love languages, I don't think most people have any real way of assessing what they should be doing with their life. And so what I've done is I looked at all the people that I interviewed and then I thought, is there any way to sort of break this down into some bite-sized understandings? And I realized that there were four ways to make a living. You could either be a maker, which is like you write the song, you make the pottery, you make the croissant, you're a maker. You could be a teacher. You could teach someone how to paint. You could teach someone how to bake. You could teach someone how to play piano. You could teach someone how to make an online course. You could teach someone to be more productive, right? So maker, teacher. You could be a curator. Curators are those folks that like, they're not making the thing, but they love that thing. Like they love art. So they want to make a blog about, not a blog. They want to make some sort of like destination where people could buy it or like a website. They want to create a shop. They want to create a panel discussion where people come together and talk about that topic. They're curating a poetry slam. They're curating um, a gallery show. You know, that that's really something cool. You might be curating maple syrup. You might love maple syrup and like find all different kinds of it. So it's either maker, teacher, curator. And then the last one is really fun, which is you could be an investigator. You could be the type of person who it's not about a thing. It's not about teaching. It's not about bringing people together. It's about a concept. Like you want to spend your life podcasting, vlogging, blogging, talking, connecting, discussing. And those people are either experts in their field or they're not. They might be the person like Gretchen Rubin, who's like, I'm not an expert at happiness. I want to be more happy. So I'm going to go investigate that entire thing and take you along with me on the journey. And so when I look at those four things, it really helps me. It helps me see that people can find a path in rather than I'm either going to work for my dad, get a job at this company, or just go to law school because I have no clue what to do. So we actually just created a quiz for people to take where they can identify which one maybe they are most to start to give them some ideas. And then we have episodes for each one of that. And in the book, I give examples for different kinds of, of, of those archetypes as well as some best practices to even thinking about how to get that off the ground. And it's exciting because my mission is really to help as many people as I can get through to, to know that they have significant purpose and to start to do the thing that brings them joy and to start to serve the world in a way that they were put here to do. Because I think people really forget like that there is room for them. I think that we believe that like, why would I bother anyway? Like so many people have already written the blog or opened the store or taught the class what I find really fascinating, something that's like super like obvious that we forget is that every single person has a different fingerprint. Like even twins have different fingerprints. Why is that? Like there is no evolutionary need for that unless it's just like a, it's like another wink that like you have a different imprint and it really is never the message. It's the messenger. Like I had Adam Grant on my podcast and he said, you don't have to say something new if you say something true. And I just find that like, you've met thousands of people in your own life. Why are you not best friends with everyone? Because there's three people out of the thousand that you've met that like, this is your person. And it's because there's like a combination of the way they see the world, the way they were brought up, the experiences they've had, the way they, they, they sort of metabolize that. Even two siblings are different. Yeah right? So there's room for you. There's room for you. And think about all the people that each one of us follows on Instagram. Yeah. Think about all the Netflix shows you can watch. There's yeah. room. 
there's room for people to love multiple, you know, coffee shops and multiple designers and multiple podcasters. So I just, I'm just so sort of like, I don't know, I'm, I'm on this like mission to help people to realize that there is so much joy that's available and that is your birthright. And you don't have to just say, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And you really have something that can serve the world. And then when you do serve the world, here's the coolest thing. Just you doing your thing gives other people permission to go do theirs. And that is like one of the best byproducts of doing your thing and being joyful. It's like being again, another stand for what's possible in the world, which I just love. You like have already changed so many, like hundreds of thousands of people's life. But this book, like how cool is this going to be? Kathy, like people, I'm going to be in San Diego and in November, it's still probably going to be hot here. I'm going to be by the pool reading your book being like, damn, this is so freaking good. And I can't wait. (laughs) I'm so excited. And one thing that you said that I had jotted down from one of your podcast episodes is you said, it's almost a competitive advantage to not be perfect. And you said that to someone who you were giving advice about her starting a podcast and she was worried about like an accent because she was from a different country. Um, And I was like, yes, that is so true. So people need to hear your message and I'm so excited about it. So so true. That, yeah. That's a really good point. It is an advantage because people, the thing that everyone's scrolling for when they're looking for a show to watch, an interview to listen to, a blog to read, all they want is to feel seen. All they want is to feel less alone. So the person who's actually like not perfect, who has some vulnerability, you're, you're doing better out the gate. People are going to be so much more drawn to you because you have the ability to put it out there and they go, oh my God, this person I relate to. Nobody wants to see a curated perfect image of a human being. You can get that all day long and it just like, it reeks of something that's not true. So yeah, I do think it is a competitive advantage just to be real. Yeah, especially because we're often comparing our behind the scenes, like messy bun, no bra, like salsa, like on our white tee to someone's like perfectly designed curated content where their sweaters like falling off their shoulder. I'm like, oh, right. and they're in Paris or something. So I just think it's going to be so powerful for people to get that. So true. Um, so where can we find you? How can we get the book? Give us your rundown. Awesome. Yeah. So the book is everywhere you can buy books, whether it's barnesandnoble.com or Amazon or Audible. Um, So grab the book and then you can also go to listen to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or anything. And then um, we do have a quiz um, coming out any day now on kathyheller.com. And if you go to my podcast, it'll be a pop-up if you go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. Um, so that would be fun if you want to know more about like which one really does help you determine your passion project, you could take the quiz. And then follow me on Instagram because I reply, I'm, I'm really like crazy a little bit. Like I reply to every DM. So I'm at kathy.heller and kathy's with a C. And so yeah, that's all the places where I'm like just putting out all that I can do to try to be there to see you and help. And I'm doing it and I love doing it. So thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. One last question before we close things out is, I guess two questions. One is we have a, a Spotify playlist for this podcast and I love to get people's like pump up jam. 
And then I'd like to know if you have anything that you do in particular to like pump yourself up if you're feeling like in a funk or like you need to take action and just get yourself in a hyped up, enthusiastic, I guess, <laughs> mood. I mean, definitely listening to music is really way up there. And I, do, I start every day doing that. Um, and as far as my pump up jam, one thing that I can tell you that's cool is I'll tell you one song that I, that's like a go-to for me. But I also, I write music. Yeah. And one of my songs is called Heart of a Hero. And it's been used a lot. It was actually used as the theme song for the Olympics in Rio. And it's such a pump up song. And you can look it up on Spotify, Kathy Heller, Heart of a Hero. Um, tell me what you think of it. But um, my go-to pump up songs, I have so many. But one that I was just listening to yesterday that I just love is Sarah Bareilles and the song King of Anything, where she's basically saying like, who, who says that like, you know better than I do? Like, I'm so sorry, but like, you can hold your crown. Like, I don't need it. Like, yeah. I, I got it. I'm going to like, you know, sort of like live on my terms. There's so many good songs though. I also love a little like Megan Trainer, Flo Rida. I don't like it. I love it. I mean, my kids and I, <laughs> we are dancing. I just listened to like the pink version of A Million Dreams from Greatest Showman. Like the list goes on and on because that is literally my morning routine is like listening to these amazing songs because it really does work. So good. And to close this all out in like a nice little bow here, any last bit of like a tidbit or piece of advice you want to leave to the 25 to 35 year old female who just wants to live a life that she's really freaking obsessed with? A tip. I mean, we've talked about so much stuff today. I know. So much good stuff. So what's another tip? Let's think like what's another or tip? Or just any little like Kathy, Kathyism that you want to say I to mean, her. If you were sitting across from her. I would make a list, I guess, when you're done with this of the five dream lives that you'd love to have. And then um, I would write a letter to yourself from the six-year-old version of you and see what she has to tell you. And then I would get a picture of her and I would take a look at this little girl and, and get a picture, whether you get it from your mom or you find it like on your Facebook feed, get a picture of yourself, print it out, get a picture, put it near you, look at this little girl and just see how like obviously lovable she is. She's so magical. She's so easy to love. And I would just apologize to her for all the time that you told her she's not enough or she should like just quiet down or stand in the back. And I would tell her like, she has so much to give and you're going to let her drive the ship now. So good. Kathy, I literally am obsessed with you. I I don't know how to say that in a cool PC way, but you just added so much value. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for being so effusive and in it and bringing so much energy. We are all responsible for the energy we bring in a room and you bring so much. It's so generous to give that much energy. So thank you. Thank you. And when you listen to this podcast episode, tag us on Instagram. Let us know what you think because Kathy's going to slide back into your DMs and tell you. And of course, we have to listen to your Spotify jams. So we'll have to report back on that too. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you share with your girlfriends or better yet, post it on Instagram stories and tag me. Then I can personally say thank you for helping me get this message out there. And if you didn't vibe with it, just keep that to yourself. I'm kind of new here. Still trying to figure it all out. Talk to you soon, girl.